My name is Wizzy Brown. And I'm Bryant McDowell. And I'm Molly Keck. And we're with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service Department of Entomology, and this is Bugs by the Yard, where we hope to increase your enthusiasm about bugs in the urban landscape. Welcome back to Bugs by the Yard. This this week we are going to be talking about uh, something that has been in the news a lot lately, and we have been getting a ton of emails and phone calls and media requests about it, even though it's technically outside of our area of expertise, but entomology is a biological science, and uh, we've all taken a class that has dealt with invertebrates before, and so we have we have some knowledge of it, but I think we should definitely start this out with a caveat that we are not experts of flatworms. We are entomologists and we study things with six legs or an exoskeleton. And these guys have neither of that. Um, But when it's creepy and crawly, people contact us and assume that we would know something about it. And so what we're talking about are these hammerhead flatworms, uh, also known as also a type of land planarian, um, platyhelminth, uh, what else would, what else do people call them? There's a lot of terms that we use for kind of the same thing. Nightmare worms, which I'm just like, ah, oh, come on. That was the article I saw. Yeah. There, it's kind of like murder hornets and killer bees. People are coming up with some, the media is coming up with some really interesting names for these guys. Uh, recently, Texas Monthly did a story on them. And so I think that that's now been filtering around to everyone's local papers and news and and other outlets are are picking up on that story. Uh, And it's causing some, uh, dare I say, uh, paranoia and panic. And I don't think that's necessary. So no need to panic. And so I think, you know, our purpose in doing this podcast this week is to explain why you don't necessarily need to panic, but what you can do and maybe why you should be concerned, just not you know, not burning your backyard and leaving the United States because of it. Yeah. Well, it, I think one of the things that really bothered me about the, the Texas Monthly article was it was meet your new nightmare. And it, it's making everybody, I mean, that might not be the context that they meant it in, but it's making everyone think that these are something that are brand new to Texas and they are not. They are not natural to Texas. They they have not, they're not native here, but they've been here for, I know, at least 20 years. I found, um, according to Texas Invasives, since 1901. So they've been here over a hundred years. There you go. Yeah. So they're, yeah, regularly found in greenhouses since 1901. There was somebody on Facebook that it's like people kept reposting her little post and it might be just because of the area that I'm in, because it says something about they've been spotted in Austin and now in Round Rock, but they're not in Pflugerville. And it's just like, yes, they are. And they've been here. But again, it's like people are trying to make this more dramatic, I guess, maybe so people will repost their stuff. And I don't know, maybe they're trying to get some social media credit or something. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, for those of us in the know, it's a little irritating to be quite honest. Like they're around, they've been around for a long time. Um, They, so I guess before we get into why 
people are so frightened of them. Um, probably a good idea to explain what they look like, other than being a, a big uh, earthworm-looking thing with a with a flat hammerhead on the end of it. They are huge, and so I think that's concerning to people. They're just these giant worms. They can be up to 15 inches in length, but I think that the average is usually like 10 inches, which is humongous anyway. But they're skinny. Yes, it's it's not. They're not like. I don't know. They're not huge, like a redheaded centipede huge, like where it's like thick. It's like, it's long, skinny, but really, really long. <laughs> yeah. The the way that they move too is like, you can't really get a grasp for how long it yeah. is. I, you know, like the earthworms also have that kind of, their body will kind of constrict and then it. Yeah. And then stretch out. Elongates. Yeah. But they're like, to me, they're like a dried out earthworm like you know how earthworms when they dry out they get real skinny they're skinny like that an earthworm has a little yeah. earth to it and these are but still slimy yes but still yes they're not dried out they're still slimy um, but they're huge and then of course the hammerhead sh- head is uh the primary characteristic that most people notice they do have some striping um long long ways on their body and i think they might have do they have some striping like right behind that hammerhead a little bit some of them yes. Yeah. And there's other species of them. Like there's, it's not just necessarily one specific species. There are some um, flat headed uh, or hammerhead flatworms, but there is a species, I guess, that we know is invasive and that the invasives network has uh, some information about on their website. So I think just by and large, we're calling them hammerhead flatworms and, and that's probably encompassing a multiple amount of species. Um, so by saying some of them have a stripe across the head and some of them have five stripes, whereas some of them have two, that's why, that's why there's the variability in the, in the look of them, but you see a flat head, you know, exactly what it is. So you mentioned that these are flatworms, which are in the phylum platyhelminthes. And so these are from Asia, I believe, Southeast Asia normally. And yes. it has... Yeah, it's kind of just spread throughout the world. The hammerheads are from Southeast Asia, but there are flatworms that, you know, are native. And I think most people think of them as parasites. I think tapeworms are a flatworm. It's a, you know, a big, um, what is platyhelminthes? Is it a phylum? Yeah. So it's a big, I mean, it's a, it's a very large umbrella term. Big, big group. And these are the ones that if piece breaks off or if you cut them into pieces, then those turn into new flatworms. Yes. Which is when we talk about how to control them, if you want to, you don't want to cut them into pieces because it's like, I'm sure there's a horror movie. I can't think of one, but. <laughs> you just made <laughs> Definitely 10. Definitely great, great mythology right there. <laughs> yeah. So the. Well, so you mentioned uh, greenhouses. uh being was that like the first sighting greenhouses so do, is that maybe how it was spread was like exchange of maybe like plants or yeah they're saying that i mean that i don't think that anybody knows exactly how they were spread but it was through landscape material and probably greenhouses i believe that uh, my suspicion uh for why they say they're regularly found in greenhouses is because it's kind of a closed environment and so you're able to find more of them um you may have introduced some uh, earthworms or things like that. And, and these flat-headed worms are predatory. And one of the things they'll feed on are earthworms, but they also will feed on other 
organisms in the soil. And so you, you just notice more of them, I suppose, in potted places, as opposed to your yard where you have to really be digging around to look for it. But, um, you know, according to the invasives work, their uh, website, they're regularly found in greenhouses. So well known to be there. And you can assume they're also probably regularly found outside. We just, outside's a whole lot bigger. And so it's a lot harder to come across them. I usually see them after um, like heavy rains. And since we've been getting, when as of this recording, we've been getting a fair amount of rain. I think that that paired with the article being released recently, it really has kind of spurred everybody to start noticing them, I guess. I mean, it's like the more that you see something, whether it's on the news or in social media or whatever, the more you're aware of it. And then when you do see something on the sidewalk that looks weird, instead of just being like, oh, that looks weird. You're like, oh, that must be the hammerhead flatworm. Yeah. The one time that I've seen these was uh, there was a, we got a really intense rain uh, and it was like dusk. So we had our porch light on. And I, I just remember seeing all these worms coming up onto the concrete. Uh, and I, I had never seen something like that. It was very <laughs> disturbing. It, it's alarming if you haven't seen it, I yeah. guess, is what I should Which say. Which is, I think, well reflected in the emails and phone calls that we've been receiving. <laughs> People are very much alarmed. <laughs> Actually, when you talk about, when you were asking about greenhouses, Bryant, on the invasives uh, with Texas invasives, they have the states in the U.S. that they know they've been found in natural habitats, like outside, and then also greenhouses. And there are more states where they've been detected in greenhouses than in natural habitats. So I assume you're right. It's moving those potted plants or the, that landscape material from one closed environment to the other. Well, and it also looks, if you look at that, the states of the greenhouses are going to be, a lot of those are northern. So whereas the states that you see them out in natural habitats, those are more in the south where we have more temperate weather. But if you're talking about like Ohio or New York or, you know, Massachusetts, those would be in greenhouses. I'm assuming because of the winter is why they wouldn't be in those natural areas up there. Right. And I I imagine they just haven't been found. Yeah, naturally there too. There's probably many more states that that they've been in. They and within Texas, I would say that they've been found throughout from Dallas down to the coast and then east. I don't know that I've heard many people talk about them in the western part of the state, and I suspect maybe because it's a little more dry. Yeah. But yeah. there's a good chance whatever county you live in, they've already been detected. But if you are concerned or you're not sure, take a picture of it. No, the thing is, is while we want to believe what you're saying, it's hard, you can't like they can't the government can't believe you just by saying i found something you need some the actual uh proof of it the actual specimen or a picture of it and um texasinvasives.org is asking for those emails we we don't really want them um we'll set, we'll tell you send it to texasinvasives.org um and they're i guess they're kind of cataloging what counties they're they're being found in but the big counties you know they're found it. They're they're definitely been found there. If you're in one of the urban, yeah, urban yeah. counties, I would say that probably definitely east of thirty five throughout the state. Mm-hmm. I I know I've seen them multiple locations around here. Yeah, like 
I've seen them so often that I don't even think about like, yeah. you know, when this story comes around, cause it rolls around every few years when oh, it rolls yeah. around, <laughs> it makes me kind of stop and pause. Like, have I actually seen them? And then I realize, no, that's, I might see them as often, if not more than I see um, earthworms. Yeah. Just- and it's usually the same time because, you know, when the, when you get that heavy rain, those earthworms start coming out of the soil. And if you think about it, that kind of makes sense that they both would be active, not only because they're trying to get out of the overly saturated wet soil, but if the land planarians are going after the earthworms to have them as food, then, you know, if their host is moving up out of the soil, they need to go up there too to get the food. So it all makes sense logically in my brain, but I don't know. I mean, not everybody has my brain and I understand that. So. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I don't think there's a major threat as in if these are found in your area that they are going to kill all your earthworms. I think it's, uh, it's a balance of things, I suppose, but you know, maybe they'll reduce them if it's in a greenhouse and it's like in a closed environment, but it's just kind of part of what nature is. If they've been around for 122 years that we've known about, you know, they've, the earthworms have figured out a way to hopefully work with them, you know, nature has kind of balanced itself out. Hopefully we definitely haven't seen since 1901, no earthworms. I I just had a brilliant thought. Maybe they can target those invasive jumping worms that everybody was contacting us about last year. Yeah. And then everything would be perfect. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. That's like an earthworm. That's also predatory, right? That eats other earthworms. Yeah. (laughs) Something like that. There's lots of there's lots of things that don't belong in the United States that we have brought over a long, long time ago. And at this point, you can't do much about it, unfortunately, for some things. You know, this would be just a, if, you know, if you're concerned about them, yes, they're already here. But if you're bringing in, like if you're buying plants on an auction site or an online website or something, you know, look at the plants if they're coming with soil, break up the soil, see if there's anything in that. And that can help not uh, avoid not only something like a land planarian, but also other types of pests that may not be here. And so it's really important to do that. I would also encourage people to buy from reputable sources. If you are buying plants from overseas, you're going to probably need to have some sort of sanitary um, certificate to go along with that. So that can be important. Yes, There are reasons that those are in place. And if you do come across them and you want to kill it, of course, don't cut it in multiple pieces or in half because you just turned one into two. They can still survive after you pop them in half. Um, Instead, what Texas Invasives recommends, at least for one specific species, but I'm sure this is the same for the other uh, two or three or four that they mentioned being being known within Texas is to use uh, basically something to make them dry out. So orange oil, um, citrus oils, you can pour salt. On, I mean, really be nasty and be like a, a mean little kid when you were young, used to do it to slugs maybe, but put salt on them. Get out the magnifying um, glass. Yeah. Just burn them. <laughs> um, you can pick it up and freeze it. Oh, that's a good one. Freezing. Then it just falls asleep. If you, you know, if you hate to hurt something, it'll just fall asleep and not wake up. Yeah. The recommendations I saw was placing it into a Ziploc bag with salt um, or vinegar, which I don't know if you find a whole bunch of them. That could be a fun little collection. Uh-huh. I don't think that I've ever found a whole bunch of them. I mean, usually I see like, you know, one 
on the sidewalk as I'm walking the dog or something. I've never had like groups of them before that I've seen. Yeah. They're- yeah. I'm looking at a picture. Um, this is a, let's see. Yeah. University of California, uh, 2023 article. And there is a picture of them feeding on a snail. It's a group of them. It actually looks pretty impressive. <gasps> um, but I-, I would love to come across that. That would be awesome. That's one of those. You're like, oh, I have my camera. This is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and it just looks like a big slimy mess. So as far as reproduction, they can reproduce in two ways. They can actually mate and then they have eggs in a, they call it a cocoon. I don't know if it's like a cocoon, like a, we would think of a cocoon with like a butterfly. I'm just, I would probably call it an egg case or an egg sack. And so the eggs will develop inside of that and they will hatch after about three weeks. And the other way that they can reproduce is without mating, where essentially the land planarian, while it's moving across the ground, it attaches the tip of its tail to the ground or a rock or wood or something And then once that tail is attached, the flatworm continues to move forward. And essentially the tip of that tail part breaks off or away from the main body. The tail tip then will develop within, you know, a week and a half into a young planarian. So it'll start developing a hammerhead on it. And the article that I'm reading from Clemson says that a parent actually deposits the tip of its tail one to two times per month. That's crazy. I mean, they're, they're like, so they're flatty helmets are considered super duper primitive, but they, even like the primitive way they reproduce is so complex to me. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine if you like, I don't know, cut off your finger and a whole new human formed? (laughs) no i could not (laughs) (laughs) horrifying but amazing it's like multiplicity (laughs) that movie multiplicity oh yeah they got dumber as they went along i wonder if that happens with these probably so also that sliminess that they have that is a mucus that they uh exude and one of the things in the articles that have been mentioned is not to touch them or to wash your hands after you do touch them that that mucus is also a defense mechanism for them so if a predator eats them it they taste bad um but it's kind of uh noxious and so i guess if you touch it it could be irritating to you um wizzy and i were just saying we've touched them before and it didn't irritate us but you know, just you're touching stuff outside. Like if I touch a regular earthworm, I generally am going to wash my hands afterwards anyway. So, you know, oh, that's the other thing that the article said was that um, if pets ate it, it could make them sick. Um, I don't know that there's been any actual linked evidence to that. You just don't want to feed these to your dogs or cats. And Um, you shouldn't eat them or lick them yourself. Yes, you shouldn't eat them or lick them (laughs) yourself. And if you're walking your dog and one's on the sidewalk, don't let it lick it, you know, but, but it's it your dog's very not likely to drop dead as soon as they you know lick one of these so it, i there's no need for for 
you know, being super, super duper worried. I kind of think of it like when, when stories like this come out and people get very concerned and worried, think about all the other really venomous things that are associated with the place where you live in, like rattlesnakes, right? We know we have them here. We're worried and we're frightened of them, but how often do we really come across them where they have the ability to strike and bite you? It's, you know, we know where to look and you know how to be smart and avoid it. And, and while that is a valid concern you should have when you're out there in the woods, it's not one that should change. You know, it really doesn't alter the course of our lives. Well, the other thing that I find weird, it's kind of the flip side of what you just said. You know, mosquitoes are considered one of the deadliest animals on the planet because of all of the different diseases that they can vector. And while we don't have all of those in the United States, we do have some really serious ones. But mosquitoes are here. They're year round. We have, you know, 70, 80 species in Texas. And nobody really thinks twice about them. It's just like, oh yeah, there's a mosquito and it bites me. And yeah. they, it's, it's like, they're so used to that, but since this is new, they've got to lose their mind over it. Whereas I feel that yes. they should be more concerned about the mosquitoes and protecting themselves and wearing repellent and that sort of thing. But Right. No, I totally agree. We get blase about certain things. Yeah. Like think about how hard it is for us to convince people to dump standing water and wear insect repellent, protect themselves from mosquito bites certain times of the year, but uh, not everybody does it. So yeah, this, this is, these guys are way less of a concern than that mosquito bite that you got yesterday when you were outside gardening. Now, if you have a vermicomposting bin and this was to get into it somehow, that could be a problem. So if you vermicompost, maybe keep an eye on your bin and make sure that there's not a way that these could access it. And there, and if that happens, you're just handpicking those guys out and killing them. There's nothing you could do to kill the flatworms that would not harm your earthworms. So uh, just like in your yard, there's nothing that you can spray or put out that would kill them. Um, you just, when you find them, you, you get rid of it somehow. You dispose of it. Yeah. Put some gloves on, pick them up with gloves, just to be safe. That's a good point, too. You're not to go spray a bunch of pesticides. So none of those pesticides are actually uh, marketed to control those, right? Right. There's well, There aren't pesticides that, one, are labeled for use for these, but two, they haven't been tested to know that they would even work. So if you're trying to treat with a pesticide, you know, it might not do anything and you might be killing off your beneficial insect population in the meantime. So definitely wouldn't recommend that. So the Texas monthly article mentions that, that the mucus that's secreted is a, it's the neurotoxin called tetrodoxotoxin. So it's the same poison that apparently pufferfish have. I kind of want to research that, see if that holds up. That's interesting. The only land vertebrate to, sorry, land invertebrate to uh, also secrete that. I'm assuming just a very diluted or a a much less potent amount. Well, it would definitely be, well, I don't know. I would say that it would be a smaller dose, but with pufferfish, is is that in the spines or is it in the, like a sack or something? Well, I thought. 
well, somehow it gets into their prey or whoever's trying to go after them, right? That's why they puff up and they have their little spines. So I, somehow that toxin gets in to the bad guy, I'm assuming. See, now I got to go look. Yeah, because I, I know I've seen, it isn't like pufferfish like a, a delicacy? That's why I was uh, wondering, because I thought it was like in. Now I'm like, does it numb your mouth? <laughs> All right. I'm pulling up an article by Nat Geo. Oh, it's found in the liver and sex organs of some fish. Oh, such as well, there fish. you go. This says that it kills because it can interfere with the nervous system. It blocks the sodium channel. And so you can't receive messages from your brain into your muscles. But then there's another article that says that it actually can be used to relieve stress. I guess I'm going to say that that's a very diluted concentration. Right. So, you know, hey, maybe there's a benefit to the planarians that we just haven't discovered in science yet. Maybe so. Oh, that's interesting. So I, I'm reading a National Library of Medicine uh, publication. Uh, apparently due to its paralysis effect, the, that neurotoxin can be used in the medical field uh, to treat some cancer pains as well. Oh, cool. All right. Well, that's uh, that's your, I guess you're down and dirty about um, the hammerhead flatworms. No need to panic. No need to worry. We definitely have had them in Texas for many, many years. We know that they're here. Unfortunately, they're just kind of a part of things now. And if you come across it, destroy it. You know, no need to go running and screaming or panicking or anything like that. And if you do think that it, you found it in a place that you don't think has they've been known yet, you want to visit www.texasinvasives.org and um, give them a ring or shoot them an email. Send them a picture and let them know that you found it if you're worried about that. And that's it for Bugs by the Yard this week. We'll catch you next time. Howdy to our listeners and fellow bug nerds. We want to take the time to tell you to check out our show notes on each episode and for more information and supplemental materials on the topics covered. Additionally, if you have any questions or recommendations for what you may want to learn more about, you can send us an email to www.bugsbytheyard at gmail.com. If you enjoy this content and would like to learn more about structural pests that may invade your home, check out our other podcasts, Unwanted Guests. Brought to you by Texas A&M University AgriLife Extension and the Department of Entomology. As always, please subscribe or follow the podcast feed to make sure you never miss an episode.